Good morning. Shelby, be ready. Sit down, Shelby. First John, if you have your Bible, first John. I feel like something blew in my eye. So what's that? It's probably a plank. I can get that plank out of my eye. Before I start preaching, I better get this plank out of my eye. All right. Um, sometimes when we enter into a message, I get this feeling that this is the one. This is the message. And, and what I mean by that is that, you know, there's a lot of messages that get preached here about different subjects and different topics on you know, how we do life as Christians. Um, but periodically, we'll hit on a message that we find in Scripture that's, that I feel like if we, as as believers in Christ, if we as followers of God would lock down on this one message and, and we really lock down on this one, it would affect everything else that takes place in our lives. And, and so that's what this kind of a message is today. It's one of those lockdown messages where it's, it's if we would just commit and adjust our lives and, and go for this one, regardless of what you're dealing with in life, regardless of what life brings your way, this is the this is the answer, and and it falls in line with with branches as as part of our mission statement. And you know we have this mission statement that says that we are intimately connected to the vine, and and ultimately what we're saying there is that we are people that want to love God. We are people that want to say, God, you are number one in our life, and that's that's the message. Is is if we would put God number one in our life beyond anything else, we will focus on our relationship with him and being in fellowship with him. It will affect everything else we do in our lives. It, it, it will affect and change the course of what we do in our lives because he is number one. He is on the platform of our lives. So that, that's kind of what we're talking about. So if you have your, if you have your Bible, we're just going to kind of go back to verse 3 of chapter 1. And John is writing this. He says, we, pro- we proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so you may fully share our joy. And the two words that I, I, I want to highlight in those two verses is fellowship and joy. He's writing and saying, fellowship and, and joy will come through fellowship. Fellowship with, with other believers, fellowship with God. Now, now fellowship is simply communication. It's simply walking in relationship. And a lot of times that is centered around a common, a common interest or a common bond that you would have with somebody, right? So I just want to demonstrate what fellowship looks like. Before I isolate everybody else, is there anybody here? I know there's a couple over here. Is there anybody here that grew up in Southern California? Zach, you, did not, you were born in California. He lived in California for like two months, and we moved to Indiana. So, Okay, so great. So LeGrand and Sabea are sitting third row, and I know they grew up in Southern California. We're going to have some fellowship, okay? Guys, how much do you miss Del Taco? I was thinking about that the other day. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now let me tell you something. Del Taco, we're, gonna, we're fellowshipping. Yeah, <laughs> we got one in the back. <laughs> Del Taco... 
is the best fast food Mexican restaurant you will ever eat in, in your life, and they're all over Southern California. In fact, I flew to Arizona last month, and when we landed in Arizona, I said to Rick, Rick, call your son, tell him we need to stop at Del Taco and get breakfast burritos, because they have them in Arizona now. We had one in South Bend. It was horrible. They didn't do the same thing. See, Del Taco in Southern California, they make their own beans. They have this monster vat in the back. Now, things may have changed, but back in the 80s, they made their own beans, and they would actually grind the, you know, cook the beans, and then they put them in the big vat and grind them into the refried beans. And then think about the bean and cheese burrito, 99 cents. You remember this? Oh. Here's the beauty of it, guys. Remember this. I got the red. What did you guys get? Red. Le Grand? You're a red guy. Okay. So we're, we're all, see, we're fellowshipping right here. Do you remember the bean and cheese burrito when you ordered it, when they would give it to you, the beans were hot. The sauce was mixed. But here's the best part for me of the, of the bean and cheese burrito. The cheese was, would be melted, but there'd be that little tuft of unmelted cheese in the first bite. You remember that? That cold unmelted cheese. You take it, and as you bite it down, it's just melting and, and infusing. Remember that? Do you, don't you miss Del Taco? I mean, Taco Bell is dog food compared to Del Taco. It just, yeah, I'm going with Del Taco. Del Taco has a good burger, too. So, so, so we have something in common because, and one of the, the cool connections I have with this couple is that once I found out they were from Southern California and lived their lives in Southern California, we started making, like, comparisons. Oh, this and that. And where'd you go to school? Where'd I go to school? You know, I grew up here. I grew up there. It was something that we had in common. And that's what fellowship is. Now, if we look back to the story of creation in Genesis, you'll read that God made mankind, man and woman, in his image to have fellowship and relationship with him. He he made us in his image. He placed us in the garden to rule over, to govern, to tend his, his creation, and there was fellowship. Chapter 3 of Genesis, verse 8, says this. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. Just God was taking a stroll in the garden. This is, this is just, picture this. Picture this, this relationship of just, of just casual fellowship between man and God as they walked in the garden and as they, they communicated and communed together. But there's a problem. We were made to have fellowship with God, but. Now, this is a big but. This is a huge but. Massive but. Giant but. It's all about space. We kind of set that up. But fellowship with God was broken when sin happened. When, when man and woman ate of that fruit, you know, we read about, the, the fellowship of, there was separation between the fellowship with God. It, because sin entered into the picture, no longer was there that connection, and the fellowship was broken. And, and we could read the rest of this Bible from Genesis 3 on, and the stories that take place, and, and how God orchestrated it, and ultimately what his plan is, is to restore back fellowship that was with him, with his creation, prior to sin happening. That's, what, that's, what, that's what, what it's about. It's about him restoring back fellowship with his people. So this morning what we want to look at, and kind of our big take home is this. This is our big take home based on the couple verses that I read, is that fullness of joy 
comes from fellowship with God. So, so, so the fellowship with God produces a pure joy in us. It's not a happiness. It's not a temporal feeling or, or vibe that we get that, that comes and goes like the, like the waves of the sea. Joy is this inner contentment, this inner peace, regardless of our outward circumstances, that comes from fellowship with God. And when we have fellowship with God, we are sharing with him that things that we have in common. And we cannot expect to have joy and fellowship with God if we are choosing to do life on our own and on our own terms. When we choose to do life the way we choose to prescribe it, we can't expect to walk in that fellowship with God. I'm, I'm standing here this morning a little bit ticked off. I have to tell you. I'm, Thursday night, I was ticked off with a capital P. Because Joe and I got a call from some friends of ours, and they were announcing to us that they were quitting church. They were done with church. They no longer were going to go to their church anymore, and they were just going to be staying home, and that God had failed them, and that they were mad at God. This is what they announced to us. They were mad at God. God had failed them. They were not going to go to church anymore. And I got irate. Like, I got so irate that it became tension between my wife and I, and we had to, we had to deal with that. And, and the reason I got mad is that when I hear somebody say, I'm mad at God, I find that personally very offensive. Because what I, what I, what I hear is that you're saying that the God of, that I worship, the God that I read about in the Bible, has lied to you. You're saying that the God of the Bible has not followed through with his commitment to you. You're saying that God has not kept up his end of the bargain. When somebody says, God, I'm mad at God, he's failed me, and I'm, I'm done. And so when I heard this from these people, I got a little bit frustrated because we've logged about 11 years with this family. And in the 11 years, I've watched this family go through a continual struggle in life, continual struggle. Now, there's been some highs, but the family has dealt with a lot of lows. And, and they've struggled financially. And when they were struggling in their lowest point financially, I watched God come through and provide for their family. And they recognized God's providing for us. I watched... I watch, People drop bags of groceries off at their doorstep. I watch bills get paid. I watch God provide jobs and provide money for this family. But God has failed them now. Their marriage has, has gone through rocky times. And I've watched people go and counsel them and then their marriage get restored and then give glory to God. But now, because of their circumstances in life, God has failed them. And, and it frustrates me because they're saying that God is not doing his end of the bargain. And what I realize is that we put an expectation and say, God, we expect you to do this for us. We're entitled for you to do this for us. And when you don't, I'm going to be mad at you and blame you for the junk in my life. But I, I personally haven't, haven't done my part. And, and, and what I find is that God is faithful. God always follows through. God always provides. It may not be under the expectation that I have. It may not look like the recipe or the prescription that I have written out for my, for my provision, but, it, but God will always take care of his children. He's a good father. And so when I hear people say, I'm mad at God, he's failed me, he's this, I take personal offense because you're saying my God is not doing what he says he's going to do in the Bible. And they have fallen out of fellowship with God. Now, this family that we know, we know them intimately. And here's what I know. I know their struggle is the same that it was when we met them 11 years ago. The circumstances just look different. But they, have cho they choose 
to struggle in their finances, and I know this personally just because we're intimate with these people, they don't give anything to God. They're making more money today than they've ever made in their life. They give not one penny back into God's kingdom. And they want God to protect them and take care of their finances. And when, when financially they're struggling, it's God's fault. They don't serve in the body of Christ. They don't come and worship and fellowship in the body of Christ. Yet, when they find themselves lonely and wondering who's going to come around to comfort them, they blame God because, because people aren't jumping at their doorstep. Yet, they're nowhere to be found in the body of Christ. Does that make sense? They've chosen to walk out of fellowship with God. And now they want to blame God. And I think that that's, that ticks me off. And I think that we need to look inward and say, wait a minute, God's faithful. God keeps his promises. So if there's a separation of fellowship between me and God, maybe it's me. Just maybe it's something I've done. Maybe it's something I'm not doing. And maybe God is still God. Maybe God's still being who he says he is and doing what he says he's going to do. Okay, my rant's over. I just needed to get that off my chest. Thank you. Thanks for the amens, and that's right. I looked at the text that we're going to look at this week, and, and honestly, for one whole day, I stared at, stared at the computer and stared at the Bible, and like, what, how, how, do we, how do we present this? And what I realize is this. When we read, when we read letters of Paul, Paul kind of wrote in, in a Greek format, if you will, and so everything just seemed to be kind of linear. You could kind of track with Paul. John wrote in this Hebrew format, and it's kind of this, this circular thing. So as you read 1 John, you'll, you'll see a thought, and then he'll circle around. A thought, and he'll circle around. And sometimes it just gets a bit confusing for me. Maybe for you guys, you're way more brighter than I am. And so I, I, I struggled with, how do, we, how do we look at these eight, eight verses and walk away with something? And I realize that the easiest way for me to do it is to, to read each verse, try and understand what each verse is saying, and then in the end, basically say, okay, what, how do I take this home? How do I take home and, and apply it and have actions in my life to where I can have full joy and fellowship with God? So, so if you'll just track with me on that, we're going to go in, in 1 John chapter 1, and we're, I'm just going to read the verse and just give what I believe is, the, is, is what John's saying to the, to the Christians that he's writing to, okay? Is that, is that fair? So um, verse 5, it says this. This is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you. God is light, and there is no darkness in him at all. God is light, and there is no darkness in him at all. When we hear and when we see that it says God is light, we need to understand he's, it's not saying God is a light. God is the light. It's not the the, the glow at the end of the tunnel that you hear people say, I followed the glow as they were slipping into death and then they came back. It's saying God is light. And, and what this is saying about God is that it's his moral character. It's his moral character. It's his glory. It's his radiance. It's his beauty. It's his purity. It's his holiness that is searching out to penetrate the darkness into the sin. The verse says there's no darkness there's nothing bad. That's what, that's what the darkness is. It's bad. There's no sin in God. Have you ever taken one of those underground cave tours? Like you could go down to Kentucky to Mammoth Caves or in, the, in Illinois or Missouri, there's Merrimack Caverns. I've taken a few of them. Every time you go in and take one of those tours, what does the guy do? He gets you down in there, in the deep crevasses of the cavern, and then he turns the lights out, right? And it's pitch black. I mean, you... Uh, everybody probably does this. I can't see my hand in front of my face, you know. But 
if somebody was to open their phone and turn the light on or flick a, a lighter, immediately the darkness is gone, right? Immediately. And that's what this is saying is God. God is the light. He is the life. Everything about him is pure. Everything about him is holy. Everything about him is good. And there is no darkness whatsoever. When he enters in, darkness scatters. It, it, it cannot connect. That's what this verse is saying. So verse 6. We are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. If you want to have fellowship with God, you cannot live in darkness is what it's saying. If you think you can live in darkness, in sin, and have fellowship with God, the light, what you're saying, you're lying to yourself, the verse says, but what you're saying is, I can take God and pull him down into, onto my level. I could say, God, come, come fellowship with me in my darkness, in my sin. That's what this verse is saying. And God cannot be pulled down into darkness. He's only in the light. So if we want to have fellowship with God, we have to live in the light. Verse 7 says, if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we, have, we will have fellowship with each other. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sins. This is where it kind of circles on us where John writes. Here, here's how I see him saying this. When we're walking in the light, when, the, when we're in fellowship with God, there will be sin in our life. And that sin will be exposed. It'll be revealed to us. We will see it because as we're walking in the light, as we walk in in, in relationship and fellowship with God in common, the sin in our life, we'll be, we'll be able to recognize it. And then the promise is, is that Jesus' blood cleanses us from that sin. Verse 8, if we claim that we have no sin, we are fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. While some of us lie to, lie to ourselves and say, I'm going to have fellowship with God, but I'm going to continue to do the junk of the world. And we think we're pulling God down. What John's writing is saying that there were some, and there may be some here that say, I'm without sin. So so some pull God down to their level. Some say, I'm going to elevate myself to God's level. I'm without sin. I I can live perfect in this world and not trip and stumble. And we'll see that a few verses down, it says that that's not possible. Verse 9 says, if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unwickedness. God can't be brought down to man's level. Man cannot elevate himself to God's level by perfection. So we kind of find ourselves in a little bit of a predicament, don't we? If I'm going to have fellowship with God and the sin in my life blocks that fellowship, this is the promise we have, that when we confess our sins to God. This is the recipe. When we confess our sins to God, it says he's faithful. He always does what he says he's going to do, which is forgive us. He's just, he's righteousness to forgive and remove those sins. And that restores back the fellowship. That's the promise. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all, uh, all wickedness. Verse 10 says, if we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our heart. So we will sin. Simple enough. God says we will sin. Chapter 2, verse 1. My dear children, I am writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. And this is the good news for us. Our relationship with Jesus means that he goes before the Father and stands before the Father and argues and works to clear our name for him, before him. We can't do it on our own. 
We confess our sin, and then, and then Jesus does the work for us. He advocates for us. The word advocate is a, is a lawyer. I used to have to get work permits for Canada, and I always dealt with these advocates. What are these advocates? They're simply just lawyers. Verse 2, he himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins. Not only our sins, but the sins of the world. We were created to have fellowship with God. So here's, here's the truth of it. Because of sin, we find ourselves in deep trouble. But in order to restore the relationship that was broken in the garden because of sin, God sent his son to atone for our sins. He said, you can't do it on your own. That was proven through the law, right? He can't do, you can't do it on your own. You can't, you can't follow everything perfect. I'm going to send my son, and he will wash your sins away. So that's, that's what these verses are saying here. If you were just to read them through, sometimes you go, man, I pick up that God's the light. I pick up there's darkness, but there's a lot going on in this. And he's just saying, God is light. We are to walk in the light. We have to do away with darkness in our life. The way we do away with spiritual darkness is we confess sins. When we confess our sins, Jesus stands in the gap for us and, and argues before, before, to God for us to clear us of our wrongdoings. That's what these verses are saying. That's a nutshell of what these verses are saying. So then, so then I look at that and say, that's great. That's great to know this. What do I do about it? What is it that we do? How do, how do we, what, do we, what actions do we take in our life so that we can walk out of here and take home the fullness of joy by having fellowship with God? And, and, and these, these seven or eight verses are broken down into, into three parts, okay? So, so this is how we have fellowship with, with, with God. The first, it says that we need to walk in the light. Verse seven, we need to walk in the light as God is in the light. Then we'll have fellowship. Oftentimes, I, I wonder if we think, because I thought this, that, you know, I said yes to Jesus. Now, I don't have to really do anything. He's just going to do all the work for me. And sometimes maybe this is why people get mad at God. You know, I said yes to Jesus. Now, God, come do all the work in me. Just clear, do everything. And then, oh, nothing's changed. So, God, you failed me. This is where I feel like sometimes we need to put our big boy pants on and our big girl pants on and step up and start doing business in our own life. And we need to say, I need to make some changes. If I'm going to walk in the light, I cannot no longer walk in spiritual darkness. So what do we need to do? We need to get rid of spiritual darkness. If I want to be in fellowship with God, I have to get rid of the stuff that separates me from God. And so I have to get rid of spiritual darkness. So what's that mean? I need to get rid of sin in my life. I need, I need to maybe change my environment. I need to maybe change who I hang out with. I need to maybe change my attitude. If I'm going to walk in the light, I've got to make some changes myself. I can't just expect God to do everything. There's a responsibility I have on my part. And that's, that's to, to walk in the light. We have to walk in the light. And so we have to clear out the spiritual darkness. And so we have to get rid of sin. We have to get rid of the things that, that, that God, the light, cannot connect with, which is, which is sin, the darkness. And the way we do that is the second part is we confess our sins. We confess our sins. Here's the recipe to regaining fellowship with God. Remember, John is writing to Christians. He's not writing to to just the general population. He's writing to Christians who have fallen out of relationship with God. And he's saying, 
you have to confess your sins. And God is faithful and God is just to remove those sins and do away with it. And here's what that means. Here's what it means. You have to go to God, ask him to reveal things in your life that are creating separation between you and him. And, and confessing simply means agreeing. It simply means, I agree. I agree that that is not healthy in my life. And then it's giving it to God and asking him to remove that and take it away. And God's faithful. He will scatter that. He will remove that. But when we confess the sins, the confession means I agree. Now I'm going to turn 180 degrees and go the opposite direction of that sin. I'm going to leave that sin. And, you know, we're like, what's that verse about dog returning to his vomit, you know? We, we go back to it, right? Okay, God, I'm going to confess that sin. I'm going to leave that sin. As I was writing this message, I got convicted. I, you know, I, I just heard God say, when was the last time, Tom, you sat still and let me exp- share with you the sins in your life that are blocking us? And I got convicted. I had to sit there and go, okay, God. And, you know, here's the crazy thing. When we take the time to say, God, will you reveal sins in my life? He will reveal those to you in, in, a, in a picture, in a thought in your head. And you will know, you'll know it. It won't, be, it won't be unclear. You'll know, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I did that. Oh, I had that attitude. Oh, I said that to this person. Oh, I said that to that person. And then we get to say, God, I agree that that's a sin. I agree that that's causing separation between me and you. God, I, I give that to you. Would you take that and forgive me for that? And, and the promise is, is that he scatters that. It's gone. He doesn't tuck it away in his back pocket like we do with everybody, right? He doesn't tuck it away to, to hold for later so that, you know, one day, Bob, I'm going to pull this out and remind you of what you did to me so that I, I'm always, you know, you owe me. He doesn't, God doesn't do that. It's gone. That time. But we will continue to sin, so we have to go through this process of confession. It's not, it's not a one and done type of thing. It's probably something that we need to put into our lives as a regular basis within our time with God to say, God, I, I want to come before you. I want to be in fellowship with you. Would you reveal stuff in me that's, that's separating us? I, I'm going to confess it, and then you know it's done because of his promises, because he keeps his promises, and then the re- relationship and the fellowship is restored. When we come to that place and we confess our sins, then we fall into the, the third category, and that's our sins are forgiven by the advocacy of Christ. Picture this. Jesus stands before God. He's our lawyer pleading our case. Now, here's a cool thing. Jesus is a good lawyer. He always wins his cases. Always wins his cases. When we confess our sins and he stands before God and says, I died on that cross. He confessed his sins. It's like, done. He's a good lawyer. So we can be assured that our sins are forgiven. We can be assured that they are scattered because Jesus is standing before God saying, he's done his part. I've done my part. You've done your part. We're back in relationship. There's fellowship that's happening here. That's good news. That's good news that when we're in relationship with Jesus, when we say yes to Jesus, we have an advocate on our side that pleads our case for us as we walk through this life. Go ahead and stand with me. Here, here's what I want to I want to just challenge us on. I want to challenge us that we can do one of two things. We can do nothing. We can look at the scripture and say, "Yeah, that was cool. Okay, yeah, I agree with that." And you can do nothing about it. And and let me promise you something: when when we choose to do nothing about what we hear from God, 
it either gets stolen from us and we forget about it, or we will, we will continue to live lives that aren't joyful, that are not in relationship with God. We'll continue to walk in a, in a place of, 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 that looks a lot like everybody else in the world. We're called to be people that are set apart when we come to Jesus. When you, when you say, I'm a follower of Christ, you're called to be a, a person that's set apart. And, and God's done his part. Jesus has done his part. And we have to step up and do our part. So, so here's what I want to I challenge us on. Is that to have fellowship with God simply means that we have to get rid of the spiritual darkness in our life. And in order to do that, we have to confess sins. And we all have sins. And so, and so, so I want to challenge you to make a commitment to go before God and ask him to reveal sins to you. And to confess those. And then just take God at his word. That's, that's, that's a good one. Man, I just couldn't take God at his word. I don't have to, I don't have to create something or write out a, a, a roadmap of health. I'm just going to take God at what he says. And, and so, so even right now as we wrap up in worship and we, we you know, op, open up the time for people to come and get prayer for, this might be a time for you to just, in this next song, in this time, just to ask God to reveal things to you. And, and he'll, he will. And you'll know. You'll know, yep. That's not good. Yep, that's sin. Yep, that's, that's bad. And, and you'll have to choose to say, God, will you forgive me? And, and I'm going to walk away from those or not. And so I, I just want to encourage you and challenge you that, that you would make a commitment, just even if it's just for this next five or ten minutes or for the next day or for the next week, to walk in a level of, of confession of sin and, and relationship and fellowship with God. And just see, see what that does. See what that does. I think, I, think, I think you'll find that God will meet you. I think you'll find that maybe things will look different for you. It's, not, it's worth a try, right? So, so, so here's what we're going to do. We're going we're gonna to finish with a song of worship. When that song is, is about done, there's going to be some people that are going to come and stand up here. And if you want prayer, as that song's wrapping up, just come up. And if you want to talk to somebody about how to, how to pray to God, maybe, maybe you just don't know what to say. And they'll just encourage you. They'll pray with you. If, you. if you have any need, physical, emotional, spiritual, whatever, any need, the people up here are trained and, and just have a heart to love, love you and to pray with you. So, so don't, um, don't let that opportunity pass. This, this is a, a great, safe place to come and just and let God meet you where you're at. So, that, so that's what that's for. So, so we'll, we'll close in prayer, and then, and then we'll finish in worship. And then, you know, if you... If when we're done with the song, if, you, if you're done, if you feel like, yeah, I'm good, you could, you could exit, and we'll, we'll leave this place kind of quiet so that, um, so that uh, oh, come on up. Um, we'll leave this place kind of quiet so that those people that want to still worship or get prayed for can. Apparently, we have somebody that wants to say something. Not somebody, my wife. There was nothing happening in the market. 
that next week it sold. And so I just want to challenge, you know, as we come before God and we're, t- we're talking about repentance, if there's a few of you out there that, that are just questioning his existence at all, just this is a time also if you want to come up and talk to somebody as well. Um, I don't ever want to leave a time where that isn't put before you. So You can close in prayer. So, Father God, we... I thank you, God, that you are the one who saw each of us out. That you have worked so much in all of our lives and... Lord, that we just merely just need to come before you and just be honest with ourselves. You've done all the work. You've laid everything. You've, you've cried over us. You've been stressed out like a parent. You've, you've been working behind the scenes without us even knowing. And that you're, you loved us so much. A love that we can't understand that you would give your son to die on the cross for us. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just be here tugging at our hearts, Lord God, bringing us back into a relationship with you where we can just be free like when we first met you. Just be so full of your light. Show us where we are blocking things. Right now, Lord, just open our eyes to see what it is that we are putting in the way of us walking in the light with you and having that open fellowship that compares to nothing in this world. And I pray for those who don't know you. I pray, Father God, that you would show who you are so real and so vivid that they cannot deny that you are God and you love them and you are calling them to follow you. We just give you glory today. We say thank you for your son and what he did for us. Thank you for restoring us and not just leaving us and and doing away with us because of everything that that has gone on, Lord, but you worked on our behalf. So thank you, and we just want to worship and praise you in Jesus' name.